Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen and each episode I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that will help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of our experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Yosefa Greenfield, Ingenious Preps co-founder and COO, and the former captain of Yale's women's basketball team, on the topic of college admissions for student-athletes. Hi, Yosefa. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So to start off, I'd love if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your role at Ingenious Prep. Sure. So my name is Yosefa. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I graduated from Yale, where I was a political science major and also the captain of the women's basketball team. At Ingenious Prep, I'm the co-founder and COO, so I work closely with all of our managing directors across our different offices and oversee a lot of our kind of operations, company culture initiatives, marketing, and other day-to-day operations. And you mentioned you played basketball at Yale. Can we go a little bit more into your background in athletics? Did you, when did you start playing? Of did course. you always plan to play in college? Yes. So I kind of refer to myself as a retired athlete at this point. Um, but I basically uh, spent my entire life playing sports. So I started with Taekwondo when I was quite young um, and was a national champion and a black belt I think around middle school, I transitioned into playing basketball. So I basically shifted all of my focus and athletic efforts on the sport of basketball. You know, I I didn't play any other sport besides basketball and Taekwondo. And I got good pretty quickly. I spent a lot of time practicing. I, I put all of my effort into getting as good as possible as quickly as possible. Um, And I remember one conversation with my coach, it must have been the summer after seventh grade when I was at a camp training all summer and he pulled me aside and told me that he thought I had the potential to play in college. I had never thought about it at that point. You know, I was only 13 years old. I wasn't really thinking about college, um, but that really motivated me further. And then from the point of that conversation onward, I was very focused on playing in college. And why did you choose basketball? That's a great question. I think I was maybe naturally good at it. I liked playing, you know, when I was younger during recess, I liked watching basketball and maybe I liked basketball shorts. I'm not really sure. I liked the whole culture around basketball. And when I, I'm, I'm somebody that, that gets motivated by results and I was putting in the, the time and the effort to practice and get better at the sport. And I was, was getting better pretty quickly. And that kind of motivated me to continue down that path. And then, you know, I I was playing very competitively. I'm not sure if we should get into this now or later in the episode, but when I was in eighth grade, I played in front of college coaches for the first time. So I went to a camp with mostly high school girls. I was an eighth grader. Um, I played pretty well. And after that camp, I got a letter in the mail from a college. The college happened to be Princeton. 
they said that they saw me play, that they were very interested in following my career and that they would be in touch throughout high school. And obviously, you know, my parents at the time were really freaking out because their 14 year old daughter got a letter in the mail from Princeton University. So from that point forward, I was playing in front of college coaches constantly and uh, the recruiting process kind of begun. Did you have your sights on the Ivy League before that? And did you ever kind of consider, you know, going to maybe a school that was ranked lower academically, but higher in terms of sports? I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I knew that even though I loved basketball, I did not want it to be my ultimate profession. And I did prioritize, you know, school and academics. And I was pretty clear with myself that I wouldn't prioritize the kind of quality of the basketball program over the quality of the school. So, you know, the end all be all for somebody who cares a ton about sports and athletics is probably Stanford, especially for basketball. I think they won the national championship this year for women's basketball, actually. But uh, they like really tall players historically, and I'm not very tall. So I didn't necessarily focus on the Ivy Leagues, but I I did know that I was going to prioritize the quality of the institution over um, the sport. I was also recruited by schools that were much better for basketball, like Arizona State and UNLV, North Carolina State. And there were, you know, a good amount of other schools, but... I knew I didn't want to play professionally, so I wanted to go to the best school that I could. And I imagine that's a balance a lot of student-athletes have to strike, uh, the academic profile of the school versus the sports profile. So hopefully we can provide a little more insight to help them make that decision. Definitely. I think there's like another layer, which is D3 sports, which a lot of people actually don't know that the Ivy League is Division One. There's a big difference in terms of the competitiveness and the time involvement for athletes in D1 Ivy League programs versus athletes in D3 programs. So I did know that I wanted to play D1 in terms of like the kind of competitiveness of the team and the schedule and the training and all of that. And that's something that we definitely work with students on is figuring out the appropriate kind of athletic level for them in college. Could you go into the different options for using sports in the college admissions process? Definitely. You can be what I'll refer to as like a top athletic recruit. So somebody who is just awesome at a given sport. And basically all of the colleges want you to play a sport at their school. And, you know, your sport is really going to be your ticket into getting in. You could be a bubble athletic recruit, I'll call it. So somebody who's quite good at the sport, but maybe maybe you play in college and maybe you don't. And you really have to play a proactive role in getting yourself recruited. So when you are at tournaments or games or in high school on your travel team, colleges aren't really coming to watch you play and sending you letters and trying to convince you to come to their school you're the one who's having to make a resume and go out and and email coaches and get yourself recruited. We work with a lot of students like that at Ingenious Prep. And then maybe you're just somebody who plays for fun. So maybe you play basketball or soccer or you row crew all four years of high school, but you know, you know, it's not something that you want to do in college. It takes up a lot of your time and you see a lot of value in playing the sport, but it's not necessarily something you want to do in college. Um, so it's a big part of your actual application, but you don't go through the recruiting process. And how would a student know, especially if they're sort of in between these spots, how would they know 
kind of which category do they fall into? Is that something a coach, a parent, a teacher could help them decide? I think coaches definitely will have a good idea. I think you kind of have a good idea. I think for some sports, it's easier than others, like sports, individual sports or time-based sports. So for example, track or swimming or, you know, even golf, like you have, you can look at your times versus college athletes times and very clearly see how much slower or faster you are than them. So you should have a good idea yourself. There are other sports that are a little bit trickier um, or more complicated, you know, maybe football or basketball, maybe you don't grow and you, or maybe you grow six inches in 11th grade. And that kind of makes the difference between, you know, you being a bubble player and a top, top athletic recruit. So I think you have to kind of get a sense of, you know, if you're the best player on your team, if you're winning a bunch of awards or tournaments, if your times are really fast, if you're getting letters in the mail from colleges, like that is a pretty clear indication that you are probably likely to get to get recruited. If you are not the best player on your team, if you're not winning tournaments, if your times are, you know, kind of average or not quite as fast as college times, then maybe you're going to have to go out and get recruited yourself. I think, at least in my experience, there's a lot of mystique. There's a lot of confusion about the athletic recruitment process. Could you walk me through that process and sort of explain, you know, exactly what happens in the admissions office when it comes to athletic recruitment? Yes, definitely. So let me start by doing a brief overview of the regular college admissions process, like what actually happens in the admissions office. So basically all colleges, for the most part, read applications regionally, which means they'll have one admissions officer assigned to read applications from, you know, one part of Los Angeles. And that person will read all of the applications from that region, will pick the best ones and then admit the best ones. Um, The athletic recruitment process actually follows a different channel. So typically admissions offices will have what's called an athletic liaison. They'll have a group, a small group of admissions officers that are assigned to reading applications from athletes. So these are processed completely separately from the regular application pool. So if a school like Yale receives 40,000 applications, you know, if you're a normal applicant that's not an athlete, you're getting put into the pile with those 40,000 applications. If you're an athlete, you're getting put in a separate pile that's read by the athletic liaisons that maybe has, you know, depending on the size of the sport, you know, four applications from the basketball team, women's, four from the men's team, maybe 20 for the football team, whatever the numbers are. It's a much more limited pool. And in addition to kind of having the application, the athletic liaisons also have conversations with the coaches. So the coaches provide the full context on the player. They've been talking to the player for a couple of years, most likely. And those applications are read completely separately. So for most, I'll call uh, most, most regular schools. So schools, colleges that really prioritize athletics. If you have a yes from the coach, then the admissions office is going to let you in. However, the Ivy League is completely different and same with these D3, you know, top top colleges in the D3 program. So Amherst, Williams, Swarthmore, Tufts, schools in that category. If you are really good at a sport, it is not enough to get in. So these schools use what's called your academic index and they will basically boil candidates down to a number. 
So they will look at a variety of different factors. They'll look at how good you are at the sport. They'll look at your GPA. They'll look at your standardized test scores. They'll look at the strength of your extracurricular activities. They'll look at your personal qualities. They'll look at the rigor of your high school and your curriculum. And they'll take all of that and give you an average, like an, an academic index. Now, across teams, players have to meet a certain academic index average. So let's say the Yale women's basketball team gets to accept four athletes. Those four athletes have to, across the four of them, meet a threshold average academic index. So what that means is it is in your best interest and, you know, kind of in your favor to get as high of an academic index as you can. That will make it easier for you to be accepted. It will also allow the coach to admit somebody to the team who's maybe better at the sport, but not as good of a student. So if you have a really high score, you can actually balance out the average of the class. When you're thinking about, you know, strategy and like best ways to get accepted, Ivy League schools will actively recruit players with high academic indexes because they will, it will allow them to admit students with lower academic indexes who might be better at the sport. I really didn't know that about the recruitment process, mm -hmm. but that is quite a specific strategy that I think could really help out students. Right. So I imagine that's uh, very helpful for students who are listening right now. I don't know a lot about the athletic recruitment process just because I did go to college for theater and dance. Mm -hmm. However, I do see a lot of similarities between the athletic recruitment process and the you know, theater dance recruitment process, just because they both seem to be sort of this similar but separate parallel pipeline outside of admissions, mm -hmm. where you really want someone with these very specific technical skills. And depending on the school, other things like their academic profile, their personal statement might matter, but that skill that they're applying for, whether it's singing, basketball, dancing, it's kind of the apex of their application. Definitely. And I'm sure that the time investment for a theater or drama candidate is similar to, you know, an athlete where you're spending 20 to 30 hours of your week just, you know, practicing. <laughs> yeah, I think so as well. But I imagine for both situations, those students are in particular a little more prepared for college because they have had to build those time management skills. They have had to learn how to balance different priorities. And so I think against maybe stereotypes, these students can actually be some of the most prepared and qualified. Yeah, I really think there was just, especially in high school, but also college, right? You have no time to, no time in the day to just take it easy or do whatever you want. Like every minute is scheduled for, and you don't, especially when you're an athlete, you don't have the luxury of pulling an all-nighter or staying up really late, working on your homework or studying for an exam because you have to perform the next day. You can't be going to sleep at 3 a.m. and waking up at 6.30 for a practice where you're gonna run for two hours and then lift weights for 30 minutes afterwards. Like you can't physically do that. So the structure and kind of time that being a college athlete puts in place just requires you to be very disciplined about how you spend the rest of your day. I felt like that as well in college because I might have a dance class at 9 a.m. where, you know, I'm just running around at full speed, intensive <laughs> yeah. strength and cardio training. 
So whereas my roommates, you know, might invite me to spend time with them, stay out late, you just simply cannot. If you're in English class, maybe you could right. take a little nap. <laughs> but with these more intensive activities, you really have to be present and your entire being has to be present. So it's not something you kind of scrimp on. Definitely. And then so if I were a student, say, I'm a student, I want to play basketball or another sport in college, mm -hmm. what should my preparation look like? That definitely depends on the sport, but I would say that you need to be pre mentally prepared to put in the work to get good enough at your sport. So I would say from just like talking to the girls on my team, talking to other athletes, you're looking at at least three hours a day, every single day. And then, you know, that's during the week, Monday to Friday. And then on the weekends, you know, you're playing in tournaments all day long. You're spending your entire summers getting better at your sport. Um, so I would say that you need to expect this to take, you know, 20 to 30 hours of your week. And that kind of takes up most of your free time. So you don't have the luxury of doing a lot of different extracurricular activities or procrastinating in any way. So I would say that like, you need to be ready to be very disciplined about how you spend your time. I would also say that if you're gunning for top academic institutions, that your, the sport isn't the only thing that matters. So you have to perform in the classroom as well. And you have to kind of take the discipline and the work ethic that you develop from playing your sport and apply that to school as well. I'll also say that like your, your personal qualities of being an athlete, like they matter, especially, especially if you're on a team sport, I guess if you play an individual sport too, like your leadership skills matter, your ability to work with others matters, your communication skills matter, and all of those kind of softer skills do play a role in making you a complete player. Um, and that is something that coaches will evaluate when they're looking at different athletes. There are a lot of student athletes who are excellent at their sport. If one is more selfish than the other, or one has poorer communication skills than the other, like those are factors that actually play a role in whether or not they want to accept you. Um, so I would say that definitely you want to be prepared to spend all of your waking hours working on your sport and also be prepared to understand that you do need to be a strong student and develop your personal qualities as well. I think we're all very dazzled by talent, but it's good to remember that, you know, some people do have innate qualities like height or mm -hmm. natural born ability, but so much of that talent that we see is just the direct result of hard work. Right. And so it's helpful to remind students of that, especially when they're juggling that 20 to 30 hours a week and right. studying for the SAT and right. for their AP exams. And I also think if you are, you know, not looking to play in college, but you're still playing a sport all throughout high school, you are developing these skills. So your work ethic, your discipline, your ability to work with others, your communication skills, your kind of goal orientedness, these are all skills that go a long way in the admissions office. So a lot of times I get questions from parents like, you know, my student is playing a sport, it takes up all of his time, but he doesn't know if he wants to play in college, should he quit? And my response is like, it's great to play a sport. You're working on, you know, you're working with a team, you're getting out, 
your energy, like it keeps you healthy. There are so many intangibles that you learn. Um, and these are all things that admissions offices recognize. And, you know, even if you're a student who maybe your main focus is computer science and you spend most of your time coding, but you also play volleyball, like that just surprises admissions officers a little bit. Like if you're coding and maybe they have a concern that you're behind your computer all day long, that you, your communication skills aren't, aren't as strong or whatever it is they might think, like showing that you play a sport, like it proves like, okay, you also spend two to three hours of your time every day with 10 other people your age and you're working towards a common goal. So there are really a lot of other added benefits to playing a sport, even if you're not that good or you're not naturally talented. Um, I think that, you know, playing a sport shows a lot of skills or teaches you a lot of skills that you'll use for your entire life. Where might a student sort of demonstrate those soft skills in their application, those skills like teamwork, communication? I think there are a few different ways to do this. So you'll mention your sport on your activities list. So sometimes if a student athlete isn't as good at a sport or is like mostly on the bench or something like that, the description for the activity will look a lot different than somebody who's the best player on the team. If you're the best player on your team, you know, your resume section will be like, I won this award. I'm the captain of the team. I led state in this race, descriptions like that. If you are not as strong of an athlete, then maybe your description is talking about, you know, practiced two hours a day, five days a week, cheered teams on, cheered team on or led specific, you know, uh, charity uh, event for team raised X dollars. Like you're trying to figure out, you're trying to quantify your, team spiritedness on your application, I would say. So the, the activity description is one place you can do that. You can also talk about your involvement on a team in your supplemental essays. So supplemental essays, you know, you'll get asked all sorts of different questions depending on school you apply to, but you might be asked to expand on an extracurricular activity. This is a place where you can talk about your sport. You might be asked what matters most to you and why, and maybe an experience you had playing on your squash team was the most important you know, moment of your life. Or maybe you're asked to talk about a challenge you overcame with a group, and maybe you, you, know, you went through something with your team and this is a good opportunity to talk about it. So I would say that's another prime example to show your kind of teamwork and communication skills and, and to reference your experience playing a sport in your application, then probably letters of recommendation are a good spot. You know, if teachers are talking about your ability to work with team or lead a team, um, your communication skills, things like that. If you're really good at a sport or you play a lot, then you probably want a letter of recommendation from a coach. That's another great place. They can talk about your skills as an athlete, but also your skills as a leader, a person on the team. I would probably say that those are the main areas. I think most people are quite aware of the general call admissions timeline. So they know that their students should be taking the SAT junior year. They know that they'll be writing and submitting their application senior year. But what does that timeline look like specifically for students who want to be recruited? If you are a heavily recruited athlete, you will be talking to coaches probably as early as ninth grade. They have different time you know, intervals when they're allowed to talk to you and when they're not allowed to talk to you. 
and they are kind of guiding you through the process. So they're telling you when you need to take your SAT, what score to aim for. They're looking at your GPA, making sure that it's going to reach their academic index requirements for their schools, and they're kind of guiding the process. If you are not a heavily recruited athlete and you are trying to get yourself recruited, um, then I would say that the earlier you can do everything, the better. So putting together a resume, an athletic resume, putting together a highlight reel, building a list of schools that you're interested in, finding the coaches' contact information at those schools, emailing those coaches, going to their summer camps, visiting the schools, meeting with them in person. Um, I would say that that all needs to happen your 10th and 11th grade year. I would say that most coaches fill their spots by probably by spring of 11th grade. So I committed to Yale or told Yale that they were my first choice in February of 11th grade. So that is obviously much earlier than the normal candidate. So yeah, I would say everything happens a bit earlier. Uh, you work on your application, you know, once you commit to a school and they tell you that you have a spot, then you are submitting your application a little bit earlier, definitely by the early decision deadline. And then you get at the Ivy League what's called an, a likely letter, which means you're likely get to get into our school. I think around, you know, towards the end of first semester of your senior year. And are those academic indexes are they available? Is it something the coach might hint at to you or is it very secretive? I think there's a, it's a bit secretive, but they will be very clear with you if your GPA is too low or if your SAT is too low or ACT is too low. Um, that is obviously different now because the schools aren't requiring these tests. But if you do have a test, they'll say, okay, you need to hit a 32 on the ACD to be competitive for our school or something like that. Um, and if they really want you, they're kind of working with you and doing everything that they can to make sure that you're meeting expectations. And if they don't really want you and you're trying to get yourself recruited, it's really in your best interest to be awesome in all areas. So to take the most rigorous courses available at your school, to get a high GPA, to do well on standardized tests, to have you know, meaningful extracurricular activities and to be like an all around awesome person that they really want to accept. I'm not sure if this question even has an answer, but if we're looking at the, you know, student athletes as a whole, mm -hmm. is it possible to kind of break down in percentages what percent of student athletes are recruited and what percent are recruiting themselves into the? Yes. Let me think about that. For really strong sports schools, so obviously schools are strong at different sports, but. I would say, you know, if you're trying to play basketball at UConn and you're a, a woman, that's historically number one best basketball program of all time. I would say 100% of those of those athletes are getting recruited. They've been recruited, you know, maybe since they were 12, 13 years old. Same with, you know, football at Michigan or um you know, soccer at Stanford or UCLA, like the, the schools that are really at the top of their game for their sport, um, most of those kids are, are heavily recruited athletes. And, and if you are not a recruited 
athlete, you can walk on to the team, but you're applying on your own. And then you're basically trying out on your own. So all of these schools do have walk-ins, but they are not helped by uh, the athletic recruitment process. At schools in the Ivy League and in, in the NESCAC, like other, you know, D3, MIT, U Chicago, uh, Williams, Amherst, these other really top D3 academic institutions, it's probably maybe 60% recruited, 40% uh, applying and kind of getting themselves recruited. That's good to know that there is a significant percentage at some of these schools of students who are hustling and getting in by themselves. Obviously, it's a lot of work that they have to put forward. But if I were a student, I would feel optimistic that there is a definite chance. Definitely. I think each sport is different. Like um, there are some sports where, you know, you do play a, a bigger role in getting yourself recruited, maybe the less popular sports in American culture, I would say. You know, the, the students play a, a deeper role in getting themselves recruited. And we work with a lot of students like that um, and just kind of coaching them through the process, making sure that they're um, doing everything that they can with the rest of their profile and kind of guiding them on timeline, when to reach out to coaches, what to do, how to answer their questions, things like that. What would be some major misconceptions that you often hear about the recruiting process and even just about life as a student athlete? My experience is just based on Ivy League recruitment process, which is very different from the general recruitment process. There are a lot of misconceptions about athletes. I think, you know, at a school like Yale, one of the biggest things we battled was like professors literally did not care that we were athletes. So we would have girls who could not reschedule an exam on the day of a game and they would take a separate bus from the rest of the team and come to the game, you know, five minutes before it started or miss part of a game or, you know, show up right in the nick of time because they were not able to reschedule an exam because, you know, athletes don't get any accommodations from professors at a school like Yale. That's not the case at most, you know, top athletic programs. Like the athletes kind of have their own tutors and they can move things around. Um, but that is definitely something that is, a big misconception for Ivy League sports is like, okay, you have, you're, you're spending, you know, I spent 30 hours a week practicing with my team and, you know, we got no breaks from the professors, like literally nobody cared. Um, so that was definitely a big challenge. What else? Anything else specific that you want to know? I think maybe even just as a student athlete yourself, were there ever misconceptions that you ran into with other students? Mm-hmm. There's definitely, depending on which sport you play, maybe the idea that you're only at a school because of your sport. And, you know, that's really tough because I like to think, especially for me, like, okay, if I wasn't spending 30 hours of my week playing basketball, well, I would be doing something else with all of that mental energy focus and drive that I have. And, you know, you kind of want to challenge people to, to walk, walk a day or a week in your shoes and see how they would handle that, that level of pressure. But I think I feel pretty confident that, you know, in Ivy League sports, like they really, they really do prioritize academics. And so you can't just get in by re being really good at your sport. Every year we would have players that our coach really wanted to accept and they just didn't meet the threshold for grades and they just, they weren't accepted. And so 
they ended up going to schools that were maybe better at basketball, but not a strong academic institution. So I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of misconceptions about um, maybe athletes. Like there were a bunch of articles that came out while I was at Yale, like kind of uh, blasting student athletes and maybe saying that they didn't deserve to be at Yale. And that's really tough because, you know, you're, you're working extremely hard and dedicated to your craft. You bring other skills to the table than maybe somebody who spends those 30 hours in drama or, you know, as a computer science major or as a debater. So yeah, I would just say like, don't, don't let those types of comments bother you and understand that like the skills that you're developing, working on your craft, you bring something else to the table and that, and what you bring is also very valuable. Would you say that those misconceptions carry over from other schools where they, the recruiting process is more so totally based on skill? Definitely. You know, there's there's a lot of schools where I think like the some athletes, you know, they don't even go to class. Like, you know, they're they're really there to play their sport. And, you know, they're not they're not there for much else. I think at the highest, highest level, you know, where athletes are going to college for one year and then turning pro they're not there to go to class because if they were, they would stay all four years and they would graduate. They're going as a step towards their ultimate goal, which is, you know, making it to a professional level. So that is definitely not the case for, for top D3 and D1 programs. It's very different than that. I went to USC where sports and sort of school spirit are very big. So I wasn't a student athlete, but in my experience, professors did sort of give students extensions you know if there was a big game absolutely the students get to leave early they all get to go on their bus and I think just that is just because it's a school with so much school spirit and because the professors know like quite frankly that the athletes are the biggest money makers they're bringing more money in than literally anything else at the school so right and very highly valued at Yale we were like begging for a second sweatsuit or whatever it was you know (laughs) we didn't have a big budget on the team so definitely not like that what would be some mistakes that you see high school athletes make it depends on what your goals are because that would kind of frame what I see as a mistake but I think starting this process too late so if you know or think you may want to potentially play in college, like have a plan early and prepare early. Because if you decide halfway through 11th grade, it's too late, you won't be in contact with coaches in time. And you know the class will be filled before you even have a chance to get in front of the coaches. So start this process early. I would say, you know, it's not enough to just focus on one thing or another. So it's not enough to just focus 100% of your time on school and on, on your sport. It's not enough to focus 100% of your time on your sport and, and school. I would say don't underestimate the, the, the importance of the kind of softer qualities that I mentioned earlier and like being a good teammate and a kind of good leader goes a really long way in the recruitment process. So figuring out ways that you can demonstrate that throughout high school. Um, I would say maybe not being realistic about your abilities or kind of target school list. Like you want to put yourself into a a position to succeed. So you want to be realistic about how, how much potential you have as a player and also like how much potential you have as a student and, and figure out the right balance of school for you. And does the process of building a school list look similar for student athletes as it does to regular students or is it more specific? 
probably more specific, but most importantly, whether you're an athlete or not, you need to end up, you need to build a school list full of schools that you'll be happy to go to. So I think there are different factors that you consider when you're trying to play a sport in college, or just if you're an athlete and you love sports, you know, you may want to look at the, you know, the, the players you'll visit the school and you'll meet with the team. And like, you want to, you're going to be spending 30 hours of your week with your team. You want to make sure you like the team. So like, that is definitely something that you consider. Like, actually you like the other people on the team actually like the coach. Like this person is the number one kind of mentor senior person in your life. If you don't like that person's style or personality, or if you don't think you're going to get along, like that can really make your four years of college really tough. Um, so I would say that athletes will probably prioritize those things as well as like the quality of the program. And I think maybe students who love sports, but aren't necessarily going to play in college. Like, I think it is fun to go to a school where there's a big sports culture. If that's something that you love, like if you end up at a school where you're, you know, nobody really cares about sports or nobody spends their Saturdays at football games or whatever it is you like to do socially, like you want to make sure that you're finding schools that are the right fit. And then the parts that are the same for everybody are like, okay, let's look at your academic profile, finding schools that are a reach, a fit, a safety. Um, Let's make sure you like the location of the school. Let's make sure you're happy being, you know, either in a big city or in a more rural area. Like we want to look at the size of the school. Like maybe you're not somebody who in under any, any circumstances would be happy at a school with 40,000 students. Like maybe you're somebody that would thrive at a really small school. So, you know, that is important, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a college athlete or not. So those kind of factors to consider are important for everybody. And I guess it could also become a bit conflicting if you have a school that would be a reach academically, but not a reach in terms of the rigor of the sport or on the other side, a reach in the rigor of the sport, but not academically. So you have to sort of balance those opposing factors. Right. And I think it's also important to keep your ultimate goals in mind. If you want to play professionally or not, what you want to do for a profession out of college and kind of keeping that context in mind when you're thinking about the step you're taking before that ultimate goal, which is the school you're applying to or going to. So, you know, if you don't want to play professionally, then, and you know, you want to work in finance, then maybe prioritizing schools that are good feeders into, you know, finance institutions. We touched on this briefly, but I think it's such a common issue that a student will devote so much time to sports in high school and not be able to use that time to pursue other extracurriculars, but they don't want to play in college. So how do they frame that involvement on their college applications? This is a really tough dilemma because when you spend so much time playing a sport, you don't have much time for anything else. I think it's very important to keep in mind that you should always do what you love. And if you love playing a sport, then you should absolutely continue playing a sport. And I think you want to emphasize all of the other intangibles you get from playing the sport on your application. So all the things I mentioned before, your work ethic, your teamwork, your discipline, your communication skills, your leadership abilities, those are all things that colleges really value. And you want to focus on how, how you've applied those skills to maybe some other areas of your life. So I would say that 
if you're somebody who loves a sport and has been playing all of high school, but isn't going to play in college, you want to be thinking strategically about how your involvement in sports has impacted the rest of your life. So basically taking maybe a broader approach and kind of zooming out from your athletic experience to talk about something else in your life or something at a, at a higher level and try to weave in how sports has played a role in your maybe overall who you are and what you care about and your strengths as a person and, and student. Um, so I would say that, you know, whereas athletes might talk about their sport and, you know, it's really the, the core of who they are and what they care about. And it's the central theme to their application. If you're not going to play a sport in college, then maybe you want to, you know, focus on thinking about how playing the sport has impacted other areas of your life. And do you have any other final insider advice you'd like to share with student athletes? I'll say that playing a sport in college was for me the some of like the best some of the best memories of my life have been from that period of time and it was just such an awesome experience and so if you're debating whether or not it's for you I know that a lot of my fellow student athletes will say the same so keep on that track if you really want to play a sport in college but haven't been heavily recruited I would say that you know, it's really important that you take control of the process early. There are a lot of things that you can do, a lot of resources, a lot of organizations, your coaches, um, Ingenious Prep. There are a lot of resources out there for you to uh, get help getting recruited. So making an athletic resume, putting together a highlight reel and game tape, putting together maybe like a website for yourself, putting together a spreadsheet and kind of doing proactive outreach to these coaches, getting in front of them, inviting them to your high school, going to their summer camps. There are a lot of things that you can do to get yourself recruited. And if you are playing a sport for fun, then, you know, don't feel pressure to only do things in high school that you think will get you into college. That's not a healthy mindset to take. And if you kind of try to artificially craft your profile to match what you think colleges will look for. It comes off as really inauthentic. And I think admissions officers will see right through that. So don't do anything just for the sake of getting into college. That's not the right approach to take. And yeah, we, we love working with student athletes at our company. So definitely love to hear from our listeners if you have any more specific questions later on. What's fantastic is that all of that advice is so actionable. It's really things, you know, a student can spend their summer building their website, editing their highlight reel, and then, you know, those are more skills that they're building. They can say, now I know how to build a website. I know how to use video editing software. So it's kind of a snowball effect. Right. Similar to getting a job later on. Like if you want to get a job, you need to take a proactive approach to looking for one. So definitely skills that will last for a long time. so much for joining us today, Yosefa. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into college admissions for student athletes. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag InsideAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.